Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Explicit Measures podcast with Tommy, Seth, and Mike. Happy Tuesday, gentlemen. Here we go. Happy Tuesday. Lots of lots of uh, activity across the um, the Power BI space. There's lots going on right now, so I think we'll have some good topics for today. First and foremost, yeah, Tommy's talking. Night is the night. So yeah, we have the Chicago Power BI user group tonight, um, 6 p.m. Central. And finally, you know, I do love developing a new session because it really does focus you on learning more about something you may already know a lot about, but really trying to put together. So we're talking about data flows for the, we'll call it the enterprise. And there's been a lot of discussions about data flows and like, well, you need it you know, data factory, you can't do all the same things. Data flows is a, we've, uh, we know on this podcast, what discussions we've talked about where data flows sit. This is all about the, um, really using it as a bronze, silver, gold, uh, tooling, using the data flows, best practices that, uh, Microsoft's developed and kind of showcasing it. And then the processes for it. So that and bronze, silver, gold is a is a clear play out of the Microsoft, or actually not Microsoft. It's actually a clear data play bricks. out of the Databricks lake house yeah. architecture. You know, you build, you bring in raw data, and then you do things to it, and then you make it cleaner, better, and silver, and then you build what I would call like facts and dimensions in the in the gold layer, and prepare it for the data marts, which is basically a Power BI data model. Right. How I would like it, to view it. And they don't call it bronze. They call it like you know, staging transformation, but it's the same idea, but using computed entities and linked entities, how fast it goes, we're going to kind of showcase. I mean, some of the, these features that Microsoft's updates are so under the radar, but are so impactful. There's a, there's a couple, I think, I think data flows is an underrated thing. And I think they're doing a great job of really enhancing that. If you, if you've recently built a data flow or played around with data marts recently, have you guys seen how many new or in preview connectors there are? It's like two pages worth of connectors at this point. It's pretty Have incredible. You seen that? There's no, a I whole mean, bunch. And this a lot more than to, it used to be, anyways. Yeah. No, I and yeah, I remember when data flows used to be like, well, can't be every connection. Also, don't do these functions or these actions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't work. And now I think some of the stuff wouldn't translate to desktop. And I'm I'm getting to the point where so data flows in the beginning in the beginning was very slow. It, it took forever. It kept erroring out all these, but it's definitely had some time to mature now. And I think it's gotten to a point where it's much easier to work with. It's much more responsive and it's caching things correctly so that it's not trying to like, you're not always waiting for it all the time. So it's been, it's gotten much more usable in my opinion about how it's, it's smart. It's more intelligently handling how the data is being loaded for your previews. Yeah. Cause that was the thing that took forever. Yeah, and they still can, but I think they really want, they're really pushing that computed entities and the linked entities because once you do that, I mean, it blazes. I don't, I'm not sure if I, uh, I understand what you're saying there, but I'm not sure I'm always a big fan of using computed and linked entities. Usually I, usually I try to avoid them by deactivating my Power Query tables that are linking to other tables because I don't well, technically need them in the data model. Good thing you're hosting the user group tonight. Good thing so I'm going to argue with you about, about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I use them. I just don't use them a ton, I guess is what I would say. So it'll be interesting to see where you when you land on this one. Um, also, in announcements, Microsoft Ignite. Is that today or is that coming out this week? I can't remember. I can't. That's 
today starting today tomorrow, right tomorrow i can't remember i believe i should actually tomorrow. look this one up this as far as an announcement goes this is a pretty lousy announcement fact checking yeah yeah October, it is tomorrow tomorrow 9 a.m PBT. Not a lot of Power BI sessions. Maybe like <laughs> not not a lot of Power BI. Jennifer R. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a conference that I really love to go to just because there's not enough of the topic that I'm interested in. It's Power BI and Excel. So we'll see. It, it, it's a it, it's marketing looks amazing. There's a ton of topics though. Um, things that I am excited about. I think there's going to be some good announcements there in the data. Uh, the data platform space. So I got to kind of keep my ear to the ground to see what they're going to announce. Cause usually they usually, they usually save a lot of things for like these big events and they drop a couple like really key, Hey, these are some things that we've been developing and this is going to be like a, a new way of doing stuff. So I think that's when they released. Um, yeah. They, I mean, they, they do, they wrap up a lot of big announcements yes. in Ignite typically. So I'm. It is a major kind. It's massive. I mean, there's a lot more messaging around the the lake house architecture because I just I just recently saw Microsoft's blog about talking about bronze, silver, gold, and basically it looked to me it looked like it was verbatim the Databricks slide, yeah. but it was yeah. just Azure Synapse and uh, Blob Storage it was like basically the same stuff. It was just branded with Microsoft tooling on it. So um, very pleased to see that that's kind of being adopted because I really I mean every company that I work through. We've always we've got all of them have lakes. We've we've built a lake house for every single one of them. I'm probably running about six or seven lake houses now, and it is solid. People and I've got one customer that I used to work for and then left and then came back, and they're still running the same lake that we had four years ago, five years ago now. So I mean, it's it's lasted the test of time for at least a short period of time. So uh, very cool. Really like the really like the technology there. Cool. Um. Tommy, you got some other notes here that you found some interesting stuff across the, the internet here. I, I want to jump on this one. Power BI Pac-Man. I got to snag <laughs> this link here. I, I tried playing it yesterday. Phil Seamark. Yeah. Look out, Phil Seamark. Yeah. This one. Make sure, we should tweet it to him. Make sure he uh, recognizes yeah. it's out there. Hey, Phil, you're slacking. People are building Phil better games it. than you yeah. now at this point. <laughs> so I'll put this one here. This is the uh, Power BI Pac-Man. Tom, you got the link there too. Yes, thank you very much. And um, this is, I, I don't know how to quite make it work, but. Use your arrows. Make it full the arrow screen. arrow keys? Use, yeah. I don't know how that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It is definitely working. That's yeah. crazy. It's absolutely wild. It's got a score going on there. It's not, how to, How on earth. I need the demo file. I know. I know. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't go out and build games and then don't share the files. It's kind of. <laughs> It's like torture at some degree, because then I don't know if it's it's all in like, oh, look, it's an HTML visual and the whole thing's being done in HTML or I don't know. Um, it's got a high score and everything. I don't know how it does it. It's pretty impressive. Um, kudos. Andre. I, is that how you say his name? I'm not sure how you would say his name. Andres. Anyways, very cool. Uh, go hit that link. Uh, very interesting uh, Power BI Pac-Man game. It's impressive what people can do, what people pick out. So anyways, that was really fun. Sending him a message right now so we can share the link. Yeah, share share me the file link. And we'll be happily put it on Parbad Tips if we can get a hands on it so you can play with it with all the other games that we have on there as well. Um any other kind of key one time you want to pick out here? There's a couple more announcements. 
I mean, we got to do the elephant in the room, right? Or do we want to wait till the end for that? No, uh, I don't know what elephant you're referring to. The, the LinkedIn one. I mean, just go with it. All yeah. right. So I don't know if people saw the Miguel Myers post, but he basically saw this random post about something amazing coming. Something amazing is a coming Power BI community. And it's basically uh, to apply to participate in a, it's like an hour long survey on uh, both if you're a report creator or your report consumer and uh, kind of assess the product because apparently they're going to be making some big upgrades to the data visualization in Power BI. And this is interesting because we've talked about our, 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 a lot of our first few episodes were about visualizations, custom visuals, the yep. standard ones, not what we can do. Um, but this is intriguing because I, I wonder what they're planning. I think some people have taken the survey. I, I haven't gotten the link yet or the code. But Seth, you said you saw some uh, um, some so, odd feedback. Yeah. So I think I think the the interesting point for today is go out and see if you can take the survey. Right. Submit to it via the link that we're providing. And yep. I'm I'm going to do the same uh, because I want to talk about this. Right, because already the comments are very segmented <laughs> in like people that have taken it. There are uh, there are some folks that don't get don't get why it was designed the way it was, uh, and seem very frustrated with it. Yep. And uh, there are folks that were like, "Great, thanks." So I think it'll be uh, some interesting content to talk about, and and may take up <laughs> a lot longer than the show, but it's all predicated on being able to like run through the survey. So. Um, I'm hoping we can get in and and take it and talk about it. Uh, but I think there would be some lively chat uh, if others that are listening go out and take that as well. So more of a PSA, public service announcement, right? That there's this survey that promises potential large things. I, I mean, uh, the way Miguel is responding to some of these, or you know, even in the post was you know starting from scratch. Right. Or, you know, mm -hmm. re rethinking how and, you know, how visualizations work in Power BI. And those are those are big, exciting things uh, that that definitely I'm very keyed in on tables. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. Like functionality. Of like Everything's wrong with tables. Creating and building visualizations yes. in Power BI. Um, I, I know if what, what I'm most excited about is Mc. Miguel is the guy who's posting this because if you have been around Power BI at all, Miguel, it, no one knows who was, Miguel is. Was basically yes. the the wizard behind creating yes. some of the most fantastic visualizations in Power BI yep. with the out of the box visuals. Yep. But it would like literally take him six visuals to create one, and yes. and your mind just breaks when you're trying to like look at what he built and how he built it even with the pbix files you just sit yep. there going how, i don't how understand are on how here? you I don't understand how you put all these yeah. things together to to come up with this thing but you it did it because i never would have thought of it right so the fact that he's thinking about this or he's you know part of this i'm very excited about because and, his yeah 
his capability in the realm of data visualization and, and things is just second to none. Well, apparently the questions on there are real doozy. So for example, like arm, one of the guys who's posted some amazing visuals, Armin Van Amers uh, sort, he's like, mm. there's 16 questions were a real roller coaster. Jeff Weir said the test made him shudder. Uh, the guy who made Pac-Man, Andre said mm -hmm. that like, this is not how you make data vis and power bi better so i cannot i don't know if anyone's on yeah, the chat this is, taking this it. what i'm saying man it's yeah. gonna be and these are some prominent people out there so. so let's get let's rip into it hopefully we can take it and talk about it <laughs> i think it'll be good i mean at the end of the at the end of the day right hey, uh, let's talk visuals just for just a brief second let's talk about like things that are wrong with visuals in general i mean i think seth you hit the nail on the head tables and matrixes are not like they are in Excel, and everyone expects them to behave the same way, period. Like, that's, to me, that's a big miss. Another thing I would say here, just from an observation standpoint, is there's too much hidden behind the context of a visual. And I really like things mm -hmm. like Deneb, where there is code that is actually generating the visual. And they should be doing more of a, here's a UI that you click options, and the visual builds itself. But then behind it, they should expose the code that generates the visual. That's really what they should be doing here. The same way you do Power Query. Here's a bunch of, here's a user interface that builds a whole bunch of things that you really like. Oh, by the way, now you can customize it and do a lot of extra stuff with it. Anyways, that, that's my opinion on what's going on there. You guys thoughts? Yeah. Any, you th think the same I, or don't disagree? So I actually, I had a conversation with, I think Jeff, we were on Twitter about visualizations and power bi and there's was a lot it, was it a desired. conversation or are you like scream yelling at each other because i feel like every time jeff talks about things about visuals he's like scream yelling at me through twitter <laughs> i i mean he could be italian but, uh, <laughs> so he could be italian is that what you yeah. said <laughs> yeah i mean that, that sounds normal to me so yeah, it's the yeah. right volume but i i think the basically was there's a lot to be desired with the visualizations and it's not flexible for yes really doing a lot more things but honestly yes what a, is there a better tool out there tableau's not that much better from visual side and there's nothing that really mm. from, i think, from I think people would say that I, I think people would feel that tableau can do a lot more things than you could in power bi just straight up visual building but the learning curve is much steeper for tableau than power bi so you have to do a, you have to learn a lot more to be able to be proficient and build complex visuals inside tableau so i would i would also kind of like yeah it, to me, Tableau feels a lot like, yeah, Joe, you're right on. I think Tableau, Tableau is perfectly visualization first, but Tableau has a, it's a lot harder to build a collection of visuals on the same report page in right. Tableau. There's, there's a lot more work there to be done that. Yes. And Johnny, we should never be building donut charts in Tableau, period. Just should not be possible. It should be blocked <laughs> from all features and all reports. There's use cases. Yeah, exactly. There are, but... There's like three of them and I can put, I can, I can count them on one hand. So anyways, cool. Any other kind of thoughts or things as we wrap on visuals? Uh, one, one real quick last kind of little intro. Yeah. Um, this is again, under the radar feature. Uh, we we've struck, we've complained a bunch about the auto aggregation feature on dimensional tables where you have like a dim date table and year and calendar month number always summed which is yeah. very, very frustrating, and there's no yes. purpose for that. Mm -hmm. Well, Accelerator BI noticed that in the latest update, when you create a relationship with the one-to-many, yeah. the, the one side, all the things that are numbers that are, used to be auto-summed, 
no longer are once you create the relationship. So, I mean, this is again, one of those things, obviously with tablet editor three, it's not as big of a deal, but for a lot of people, this is frustrating. Oh, but, this is a, this is a great idea that this has gotten implemented. I mean, yeah. the, when you build a, and this is also part two, this is partly around, you have to build a good data model to make this thing work. Right. to some degree because if you start snowflaking things you're going to get weird potential results on this um and you and honestly where i have found most challenges with data models is where people are trying to aggregate something in a dimension table or there's some kind of factual piece of data in a, in a dimension table and it really throws people off and the dax statements get way harder and it's not fun so i, I would totally agree with that one again under the radar feature that just comes out so that's good though. It's it's nice that they were actually picking on an idea that came out in 2019, March of 2019. We're gonna I'm gonna give I'm gonna give the ideas.com a little bit of razz here. It's it's having problems again for whatever reason. Stuff's not loading for me. I'm going to the page. Greg Deckler, uh, if any of you've seen his posts about uh, and all the way, Greg, tone it down a bit. There's, you're you're getting a little bit ridiculous on the on the matrix stuff that you're talking about there. But um, you know, Greg Deckler is saying like. He, he's going to the website and he's seen the same thing I am occasionally. I go to ideas.com and it's like just broken. It just says, sorry, can't load anything. And I'm like, well, this is super unuseful. I was going back and looking at my ideas.com report. There's almost like no engagement with people on a Power BI ideas.com anymore. It's, it's literally crickets. I mean, if you look at how many people are commenting on things, we had less ideas in like 2015 and a lot more comments. People are commenting on an idea and adding their notes and, if you look at all the ideas that were added, we have a whole bunch of new ideas. Every year since 2019, we've been having less and less and less ideas added to ideas.com. So there's a distinct downward trend of people engaging less and less with that website. I think it's just a poor experience right now. Well, it's hard it's to organize. Yeah. It's just disappointing. Anyways, I, I digress. Let's get on to some fun stuff. Fun stuff. All right, um, let's jump into the topic for today. So topic for today is using deployment pipelines. I'm, I'm excited to see where you guys are going to take this one. So Tommy, just give me a quick overview of what is a deployment pipeline? Yeah, so deployment pipelines are Microsoft's really a solution or alternative to your GitHub or a lot of software application development. And basically like product lifecycle or app lifecycle where Rather, like in the old days, if you had something in development, you wanted to push to a production workspace, you would delete it from development and publish it to um, the production. But now with deployment pipelines, you can really manage the content in Power BI, both from a development with a development database, testing out certain features and items, and then actually push that programmatically to a testing workspace and then finally to production. And now with the deployment history, it really is a, in a sense, a repo or Git uh, source control for Power BI content. Yeah, and I, and I'm gonna, I want to just caution people: it's not a straight up Git type thing, but it's a move in the right direction. It would be like the the business user version of how to store and and save files or or be able to version things. There's some there's some features that I think that are still missing at some to me at some point, but it seems like it's working its way down the right direction at this point. Yeah. Anything you want to add, Seth, about deployment pipelines? No. Shaking your head on a podcast doesn't work. You have to say words. Right? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Um, let me ask this question then before we get into it. Is 
are Tommy, Seth, are you guys using deployment pipelines currently in your customers and in your workflows today? <laughs> so, okay, so, that's so, my answer. So here's 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 my here's my answer. Right. Okay. When when deployment pipelines came out, um, and I need like this is a cycle thing, right? So six six plus months afterwards, I was like, deployment pipelines going to be a major part of my my processes, right? Um, for an organization or for a team to go through and vet something to be production takes up really, it, it takes a lot of effort, right? You're, you're looking at every single one of your use cases and how you use Power BI with us. It was also large models. Um, it was a singular location that we wanted different versions of reports for dev test prod, but we wanted the same data source because we had I mean, it's Lake, right? So when we were just building things up, we had one place for the data. Um, and our, our use case was embedded. And the initial implementations of our embedded solutions, um, we, we ran into several hard blockers with deployment pipelines. And as a result, we couldn't implement it. And most often that I think that, I think one of the ones off the top of my head, I was actually looking for the results <clears throat> was... Um, before I think some of the get APIs were available mm -hmm. or the devs didn't know about them, they were using report GUIDs. And one of the things I think yes. deployment pipelines did was replace the GUID yes. when you were deploying things. And that absolutely just sh broke our use case because we needed to, con like if you're going to have a dev test prod consistently deploying things, we would have to sync with an entire team every single time and rechange all of the GUIDs that they were pointing at to have the reports in the application. So it, it's those scenarios where it's not like enterprise ready for all use cases. Correct. And and since then I need to cycle back around because it seems like they've made some great improvements in yeah. as far as how you interact with the deployment pipelines. Mm -hmm. The fact that I can have multiple pipelines, you know, might solve that problem. Yes. And there could be efforts where I work with the dev team to obfuscate some of the hard-coded GUIDs, which actually makes a lot of sense if you're doing dev test prod kind of things, um, because you shouldn't be locked into those types of GUIDs. It gives you that layer of obfusc obfuscation. The challenge being, I got to go through another cycle of heavy investment Yes. To go vet to get all, in, of, yeah. all of the use cases again yep. to make sure it would work for um, for our team. Now you're in a, I, you're you're in a little bit of a different scenario. You're doing a lot of embedding, heavily embedding stuff yeah. at this point. We are. So like, and so then, GUIDs are the other, and very important correct. to not change them over time because that's a lot of rework to like make your application aware of right. the new report GUIDs. Right. Yeah. So we are. I mean, the it, it is actually a timely conversation for me because. Um, we are now starting to focus on a lot of the internal facing reporting, mm, which is a lot more important for that. Yes. Into next 2023, yep. where like this would be a, a perfect use case for us to, you know, re-engage here and figure out uh, and make sure that we can um, start to utilize them. Cause I, I do think they're valuable. Yeah. I find immense value with them. I have a number of clients now that are using them and, and we are really like, I mean, it it really simplifies. Hey, I've got to build something and test it, and then I've got to get it done and ready to go for something that would be going live or in production. So I think Seth, one of the features that is that is now here, which was not there originally in the in the first run of Power Deployment Pipelines, 
you could start with the dev deployment only, and that was it. You could start, you know, you had if you had mm -hmm. an existing workspace with reports in it, you had to start with dev, and then you had to roll all the content to test and all the content to prod. There wasn't this ability to be able to just kind of arbitrarily pick whatever workspace you want. So now you can do that. You can just say, oh, here's my prod workspace. You can start with prod, and you can then build out test and dev and hydrate those things with different reports or re the same reports, basically the same names, and then publish them all the way through. So there's some interesting things that I think they have fixed. I think there's this concept of like backwards deploying when you first build your workspace. So if you start with prod, you can like backwards deploy. And as another thing that was broken initially, you couldn't like start with prod and say, okay, this is my prod workspace. I need to build a test in a dev environment, copy my prod stuff and go backwards and give me the test and then give me the dev. Because then you could work on all these the assets and then push them forward from dev through to production. That originally that was broken. It wasn't working right. Yeah. I, honestly, I was pretty hesitant with deployment pipelines at first, um, especially when we had a development workspace and just publishing. I but now it's beginning to roll out more and more with the processes and especially with different teams, where it's it is pretty cool for certain use cases. Um, ex especially being able to bind the parameters together where if you wanted to bind certain data sets to the reports and on in the documentations, interesting, the best practices, which is usually code for this is the best way it works, or this is how we've intended it to work. Mm -hmm. uh, they recommend that you build a gold data set in your development. And maybe like there's obviously a report to it, but you don't build desktop reports on top of that you build them in the service yep which is very intriguing because you would think that you would have data sets and then the reports that would be editing and testing but they're like nope if you want to create a report in testing you're going to do that in the service but everything's going to be connected and that would create that binding so i would never i would never if you're going to be doing a dev test prod solution you would you basically never touch test or prod you don't ever deploy to those environments because it breaks all kinds of things so there's this concept. So I do a lot of this. Um, another one that was another feature that was, well, let's, let's pause here real quick because someone's asking a question right quick. I think we should just take a, a brief moment here to discuss. When can you use deployment pipelines? There is, there is a licensing flavor here that's going on of when you can use deployment pipelines. So Joe asks, what ones can we use? Uh, thanks, Tommy, for the link there. Um, all premium instances, and correct me if I'm wrong, Tommy, I think it's the Azure SKU. The EM SKU, which is embedding SKU, you can use the P SKU, which is the the, mm -hmm. the enterprise premium SKU, and the premium per user. So any flavor of premium, whenever you see the diamond show up next to your workspace, basically is what I is, that's what it's called. Whenever the diamond shows up, that is the that is the moment when which you can use deployment pipelines. It's a feature locked uh, premium type feature, but it works in all versions of premium at this point. Think you guys want to add to that? good honestly i it's, it's hard pressed to know organizations who don't have at least ppu now that's basically to me that's basically pro at this point so I, I still think there's a good use case for when you're not using pro and i do think there's like i think premium per user is a really good solution for that mid to small tier company i'm finding an immense amounts of value from them um, and also companies that have e5 licenses that's another another kind of decision point around getting premium was like do you have e5 license if yes, then you already have a pro license and to get premium per user, it's another $10 per user to use premium per user. 
So we've actually made this the use case of that really makes it, you know, you either buy a P1, which is five grand a month, or you can have equivalent less than 500 people on E5 licenses. And if you have less than 500 people, then a premium per user gets you all the features of premium without having to pay five grand a month. So there's like, to me, there's a couple break points there. So obviously I think we all are enjoying it, but I, for me with pipelines right now, even though I am trying to find more and more use cases, I think we've talked about where it fits, like the, the small teams, but what situations, not necessarily like organizational situations, but solution situations, does it fit? And where yeah. do you see it not fitting? Well, I, I, mean, I really like, who had something? No, I was just going to say the not fitting parts are, you know, the not one-offs, but a, the specific use cases like I outlined where like there's just a part of the implementation that it doesn't support. Right, I, I think, and those are, those you'll get into. I think more as you try to scale from enterprise perspective, mm -hmm. because there might be something that's not supported in there. Um, but I, I think the use cases for internal use are are much more adept at, at being successful without having any like major feature blocks or anything like that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I think my breakpoint for this is whether or not you're talking about is this a certified data set? So this is one of my hurdles mm -hmm. that I would probably push you through, right? If we're talking about, so if we talk about the number of data sets or the things that are critical to my business, we talk about this pyramid of, of things, right? There's going to be a whole bunch of stuff at the bottom layer. This is the self-service layer. People are just creating things. They're making their own content. That's fine, whatever. As we move up towards the importance of those data sets, financial, it's maybe sales related, those kind of things. If there needs to be like an SLA around how you build these reports and what is the uptime or downtime of those data models, now we're getting to a point where I'm like, we need a bit more control. And if we're also talking about, hey, we need a select team or a smaller team to be able to manage and publish a production version of a report and or data set, I like deployment pipelines. Because what deployment pipelines does is it builds basically three separate workspaces. They're independent. And the management of those workspaces are done by different users in each of those workspaces. So I can have a development team that's focusing, all they can edit is in the development workspace. That's it. I can have another person who's a release manager who's picking up stuff from dev and moving it over to test. I can have an entire different audience around people in test, looking at the data, combing it over, verifying that it works, looking at it, making sure it looks correct, right? And then you can go all the way into production and now, okay, now we're gonna kick over these reports to a final report production workspace and in this case, I also like using the publish to app version. So you could have a test app and a prod app. So I almost never give, if you're not editing or building the report, I don't really let people in my workspaces anymore. Like that's, that's, you just don't do that. It's now almost a hundred percent via the app. And now with the addition of audiences, I can make a single app that can serve many groups of people. And actually this actually brings up a really good point, which we will talk about in the future here. Um, there is a data goblins, uh, article, which again, I'm loving data goblins. It's, it's such a, it's such a really good, um, I'll throw the link here and real quick here, data goblins. Um, there is a article that he just wrote, I think it was like a couple of days ago, uh, exploring app audiences in power BI amazing article. And it talks about, you know, you think like, oh, an app audience, what is, what could those be? What could be places he starts putting, putting out stuff here? Like, Hey, you could have you know, different audiences of people, but you could also have something very creative where you have like, first time using the report, start here. 
And you could have a whole bunch of reports or a whole bunch of things in there that's documented around, you know, instructional pieces around how to get into the app. Like, what are you supposed to use or not use? So I really like this article. And I think I'm going to use, you know, new to this app, start here, like instructional pieces that could go along with this as well. So really great article. I think we're going to talk about this in the future. I got it on our backlog yeah, here, but. I think it's on the good. agenda. Yeah. Well, right, I'll stop talking. Thoughts? Well, or... <laughs> no, I, I think that the audience side, it's a very, um, <clears throat> it's a very thin or um, a static process that you can implement. There's not a lot of flexibility in terms of how you actually deploy this. Right. And, and to me, I think that's, I'm, that's on purpose though. Right. Cause if you're doing deployment pipelines, you have to have a process to get it from we're building stuff to it's in production. That's not self-service. Yeah. This is, this is purely in the certified data space. Everything else is self-service. I don't yeah, really want to control I, it as much. I, I agree. I mean, the deployment pipelines make a, the most sense in the realms where yes as a change goes out someone whether it's the bi team or a qa team like the audience of that report is so large that if you revert or you screwed up or like create an issue it's 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 going to result in a whole bunch of people like pinging teams or bugs being filed or yes. a, a problem like surfacing up pretty quickly where you're just ensuring that the proper testing is going on in the in yes. in the proper deployment mm -hmm. way so yep. that another team verifies the work of the dev team right or mm -hmm. another person is saying okay checks and balances i know what the i know what the other report should be doing you're yes. going to introduce this new thing here's what it's doing now okay it's good to go deploy it yes. right like yes. that's the whole purpose of this is to ensure that what gets changed and pushed and deployed is fit fit for finish, right? It's polished as opposed yep. to pushing something out and then going, oh crap, uh, yeah, uh, we we screwed up and the screw up is this, but if the audience is a thousand users, how do you communicate that well? Yes. You know what I'm saying? So this is why we, we yeah. build these cycles and these processes so that mm -hmm. You don't have those mistakes or you catch them before you, you yeah. launch into production. I find exactly. it ironic that I'm on the other side of this now where it's like where I think it should be uh, flexible enough where you don't have to necessarily have a testing where if you want to have you that. You don't need it. You can, no. you can start. You can do a test prod. You can just have two environments test where you have prod. everyone working. So that I've done that before. So I've actually had clients where we skip the dev environment altogether and we just have two. Sure. Sure. And then you just have, hey, we build everything here. We self-certify, we kind of get everything ready to go, and then we just go right to prod. So I don't think you need all three environments all the time. Because yeah. sometimes it gets a bit unwieldy, like there's so much stuff to manage. Yeah. And I guess with that static, that kind of like very structured kind of single process that um, it utilizes, I'm struggling with either should we fit or refine processes already in place to work with pipelines where it's like we've been doing you know x y and z for a while but we should migrate over to using deployment pipelines where it may not be a perfect but there's really no perfect process for a lot of bi teams to develop test or, and deploy right now so should this be something that any bi developer or uh, director bi manager bi should really consider or say hey we're going to migrate to this if you're a director or higher doing BI, 100% you should be considering this. And if you are on premium, 100% you 
you should be considering it. It should be it should be part of your development process. Period. I I would agree with that. Like, and I even opened right. Like, we went through an extent. You go through. You have to go through an extensive testing process to make sure yes. all your use cases are are going to work. Yes. But but I'm I'm willing to do that again right now because of the improvement improvements that they've made. You don't do it like on fast cycles, obviously. But if if it works for my use case, I will 100% retrofit everything into deployment pipelines because yep. the stability that they provide is something I don't have right now. Yep. And that's the problem. You have to either manually build all this stuff or figure out like different ways to, you know, deploy things into a workspace, you know, copy models over from one thing to the back end, you know, using all the other third party tools and and whatnot. And it's it's a pain in the butt, man, compared to just having something that's designed to, you know, fulfill that that process. So yeah. <clears throat> see I totally I, agree with that. Honestly though, I, I can see that, but I, I struggle because for me there's a few deal breakers with pipelines that maybe don't fit my mindset or what I see is a lot more better use cases, right. For organizations, because for me, I'm going to kind of name some of my limitations that are too hard to overcome to say, this is a universal implementation for any BI team. If like, where basically you can't say you're a level 400 maturity, if you don't have pipelines, which throw it I, down, Tommy, Let's yeah, hear so what, what do you got? I think, I think the first one is, the use case of you can only assign a, a workspace to one particular pipeline. I think a lot of times you may want to have like certain, maybe certain development workspaces, mm, but you should I be able to select. Yeah. Okay. You Let's should, talk you about that for a second. To, yeah. For me, the, the, so the, what's the, the use case for you? Why, why would you want to have one workspace, multiple pipelines? I think from a target point of view, or even from a development point of view, where I can have one development workspace, certain people obviously have access. Like right now, a very standard process a lot of BI teams is you have a development workspace and then you have your production workspaces. And as we talked about where hmm? you go through everything that you share the report, single report with the stakeholders, then you publish to a Power BI app in production. Well, what I should be able to do, or at least certain people should be allowed with because of the permissions where you can have the development and staging for your marketing, for your sales, for your departments, for your orgs, um, but they can go to multiple workspaces. Like let's say you have a corporate workspace, right? And that could be coming from a lot of different sources. A lot of different people are going to be touching it. So, okay, from so yeah, so I, I would I would challenge you here in the app sort in the app area of a particular deployment pipeline. I mean, and this is where audiences, I think, come into this, right? So if you need multiple groupings of things, so you're just basically saying there's the same report and I have the same report I want to publish to multiple audiences. Not even the same report. I may want to use a, a single development workspace, right? I think you, I mean, uh, I think you definitely can do that. I think you're just, if you're, you but can, your, your audiences are consuming multiple apps is what you're saying. One development no, workspace, multiple apps. Right. Well, because you can only, again, you can only sign a single workspace to a single pipeline. So if I wanted to have um, either, again, it could be either way. I can have multiple development workspaces with multiple people who are developing, or I can, I want to point my production workspace to multiple pipelines. And obviously you're not going to publish all the content um, because I think it just gets too convoluted, especially for a bigger organization. If for every single 
workspace that you have, you have two or three work, different workspaces, right? That gets pretty disoriented in the user interface. Trying to I would not argue. I would. I would argue differently. I think what you're proposing is too complicated. Having one works, one development workspace, publishing out to multiple pipelines. I think that would get too confusing. Honestly, knowing which part or which assets are being deployed across which environments. Um, I. I think. I think you need to. I think really what I. I hone in on is what is the main audience for the groups that we're talking about, right? What. What is the. What is the app that we're building at the end? And I think if you if you try to get too much too many things into one app, it becomes just difficult to manage and a pain to, to, uh, to move data through. You know, I've, and I've been in those. Yeah. You know, a great solution here that if you actually, if anyone has, is an office 365 global administrator since probably 2019 or 2018, there's a activity in the audit log, not the power BI one, the office one that says mm -hmm. folders for power BI, yes. like someone, Obviously, that's something we can do now, but that would just like audiences now. I, I mean, think about it. What if you're an enterprise company or even a mid-sized company with 10, 11 workspaces, and now you have three different workspaces per? I mean, that's a lot. One to manage and then two to navigate. That's a, that's, to me, that's 11 different audiences. That would be potentially 11 apps across your company. I think if you're getting to that kind of scale, you need to have a clear direction on what are all the people what are they building in your environment and who are the audiences or the consumption teams that are going to consume those various apps? And I mean, you can do other things too, where you can provide links to other apps within your app, right? So if you're in a central app and you need someone to go, Hey, you need to go click the finance stuff. You can put a URL link of another app. You can then link out to other apps that you published from production to, to lit, to bring people to the audience or bring that audience to other applications. So I think it, I think it, to me, in my mind, it weaves tight enough together that I can make it work. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I think there's all kinds of additional complication that comes with if you have multiple workspaces starting to push reports into different pipelines, you start getting yourself into problems because you'd have to have this hard rule of we have one development workspace and I have multiple QA or tests and prods because I could, I don't, I don't think it would make sense for me to have dev publishing to two different test workspaces. Well, you think would about just get like GitHub repo, right? Where if I were to edit a folder in a repo, right? And totally different that. thing though. Repos are totally different. But it's I literally, it's, it's literally it's, one line. You have branches, you would branch something and then you, you merge the code back into a single production piece of code. I'm not saying, I'm saying just the files alone, the content. Like if I upload, if I change a, content or like add a file in a folder in a repo it doesn't overwrite everything else it just changes that folder or adds a file there that's exactly what deployment pipelines do if you change it's, a report in a part in a pipeline it's only changing the one report yes but what i'm saying is think of the folders if they were to me it could work better if they're like different workspaces and you can have multiple workspaces pointing to a production a single production workspace i i think what you're looking for is something what like rui romano has solutioned out we're using like you're talking scripting a bunch of different things. So what I think you're looking for is um, a code-based, DevOps-based push of reports across different workspaces with different data models anywhere you want. And and that's not what deployment pipelines are for. If What, what you're describing to me right now is what Rui has built. And he has, uh, let's see if I can go get it here on GitHub. GitHub, Rui Romano. Um, he has exactly what you're describing, Tommy. It's called, um, uh, it's, 
PBI deployment or PBI dev or something like that. It's this really robust pipeline to push. Yeah, PBI DevOps, that's what's called. So this one here, I'll put it in the chat window. This is from Rui. Um, this one's incredible, but it does what you're saying. You could have any number of workspaces, any number of reports, and you can kind of push and select where these things go and rebind them at any point in time at anywhere in the pipeline. And it's all driven by like a JSON script to get things going. It's super cool, but it is a lot of work to get it going. I, I think that's squarely outside. Like that's, I think you're speaking to Tommy, what Seth was talking about earlier, which was when did not use deployment pipelines, this would be one of those use cases when you need to have gotcha. or control, yeah. right? It, this, this, to me, what you're describing is a, a situation where I don't want to use deployment pipelines anymore. Fair enough. So Fair I'll enough. put that in there. You, but you said you had an issue. I get your, though, with, I get your uh, scenario though. Yeah. But you said you had that in your notes too. Yes. So that, that was where I was talking about more self-service, right? So my, my thing was around, you know, when you start moving into self-service spaces, I don't think deployment pipelines are needed for like that, that level of, uh, you know, it's, it, it's maybe inside a department and people are just building reports from data things, right? That's probably not the best way of doing it. Um, yeah, I would agree with that just because yeah. like at that point it's, it's process for process sake. Right? Yeah, it's, like it's you, not serving no. you any purpose in there and, and they don't understand it anyway. So what's the point? Correct. <clears throat> but your impact is typically lower there too, yeah. right? If something's messed up, it's just a team. Yeah. A smaller, some guy can go fix it. Smaller yes. group of people, right? We're not we're not technically losing millions of dollars because the report went down because we couldn't make decisions, <laughs> right? I mean that's that's the kind of stuff right. that I'm like more worried about now. Right. Yeah. Or, or we're reporting wrong numbers because someone wasn't able to check over the sales numbers correctly, and now we're giving out too much bonuses or not enough bonuses on sales because the numbers are wrong. Right? Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't, you can't publish those kind of reports. Like someone's heads will roll in those kind of scenarios. So you have to have a test environment where people can test and vet the numbers, make sure it's right. Hundred percent. Any other areas, Tommy, that you think? Um. Some, some with the parameters and auto binding, but I know there's a few other, just a few. I think there's limitations there. It works, but to me, it's it, I don't. I, I would say the experience is a little bit janky. I've experienced some weirdness with the parameters piece of deployment pipeline. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. let's let, let's explain that feature first for people. Um, Tommy, you want to explain parameters? What? How does that work? Yeah. So the param the parameter side of things is basically. Um, just like you would create a parameter in Power BI to uh, point to a data source, and mm -hmm. then you could change it from a like develop a, you know, a, a testing to a production database. You can actually assign parameters when you add those to a Power BI uh, deployment pipeline. Yep. You basically say, hey, when it's in testing, here's the right parameter to use. Yes. Uh, when it's in prod, here's the right parameter to yeah. use. Yeah. And imagine like it's like two servers, right? I have the test server and the prod server, and they have different data potentially. Right. right. Yes. Right. Yeah. And then auto binding is, and I think I know what you're saying. It, it's a little, yes. a little janky. Yes. So, like so the the auto binding is. Let's imagine I have a thin report and a and a data model, right? Thin report meaning it's a live kind of report to a a data set that's inside the service. If you deploy the data set and the thin report to test, or sorry, into dev, there's a there's a natural link there. And then if you deploy those the thin report and the data model to the test workspace, so you know, you've now promoted it to the next environment, it will rebind, automatically rebind that thin report back to that data set. And 
I think initially when they were doing this, if you keep the when you when you kept the data set and the report inside the same three workspaces, it would automatically move and reconnect because it's definitely it's different. It's a different data string connection between the report and the model mm-hmm. because you're basically getting three separate models in each of the environments. There was a, a an edge case where even in Microsoft's documentation, they said we recommend you use deployment pipelines where one pipeline is data sets and one pipeline is reports. And even in their own documentation, it would not work. You could not yeah. deploy a data set into the data set pipeline and have a report in the report pipeline where the report would then automatically rebind from dev to test to prod as you promote the reports across. And I was like, your own documentation doesn't even work. So apparently they they fixed it now. And I've done a very basic test to run this myself, and it seems like it's working now. So you can deploy them, and they will stay bound together as you deploy them across the different environments. But this is also, I think, brings up an interesting point. You're always lagging the, the data set. The report always lags the deploy of the model. So you always want to deploy the model first to the next environment, and then take your changes in the report and move those over second. So it's always kind of like you want to you, you want to deploy the model first because that's you're you're basically adjusting, adding the measures or whatever. Because if you deploy the report before you deploy the changes in the model, you get this scenario where stuff starts breaking, measures aren't yeah. there, stuff starts failing, and then it only works when you read it to publish the report or the data model, the data set. Sorry. Yeah. What is what is the, man that that almost like okay? So I almost ask, what's the benefit? Right, like if I have to man, you're managing two different pipelines that ha- I have to manage the orchestration on. So here's, well, yes and no. Um, it it does allow you to. So I mean, if we think about our workflow and like the personas of people who are building Power BI reports, where there's going to be the data modeler person, right? There's going to be the guy who does that, or gal, guy or gal that is doing all the data modeling deployments. So yeah, give them, make them have the 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 reports, the, the data sets as optimized as possible. They're focusing on that. And then what will likely happen if you're not instilling breaking changes, right? You don't have to coordinate changes between the data sets and the reports. If you're only adding new things, you just can kind of add them whenever you want and it just adds into the model and you just kind of kick your changes through and let someone know, hey, we've added these new measures, we're happy, move on. And then the report people can then kind of update and use those measures as they need it, right? And this, and actually, now that I'm thinking about it, Tommy, your scenario, one workspace, multiple things, this might be your solution here. So think about this. If you have data sets in their own pipeline, you could have three, four, five other pipelines that are only the reports. So you have the data set pipeline and you could have, I mean, realistically, right? Because that's all you're doing is binding that thin report, thin layer back to the data set level. So you could have three separate pipelines for different audiences and the thin reports could live in any one of those those areas and so you could have the hr one the whatever and all the data sets could live together and then you have these thin reports moving through different pipelines based on audiences and you could have apps published with those groups it could work but then you still deal with the multiple audiences with the data sets two permissions because you if you only had one data set pipeline right that means every i know but it, there's there's obviously a lot of like i said there's i think there's a lot of use cases because Teams are structured in a different way. I think, I you, have like, you know, and I think that's where the, this works for, to me, where you maybe have that sp- spoken hub, but like a, uh, or a small centralized team, but like enterprise, 
a larger BI team, I don't know if this is the best use case. I'd, I'd agree the other way around. It's enterprise, it's yeah. large BI team, and it's a small centralized team. This is where this works really well. It's where you're talking spoke and hub and like a one person team, that's where it does not work well. That's why I'd argue that one. So what would be the deal breaker for the spoken hub approach then? Why not a spoken hub? Yeah, like what, what's the deal breaker for the spoken hub? When I think of spoken hub, I'm thinking about the, the hub is kind of like the central space where Power BI is building data sets and they may publish just a, a production version of a data set. And so it would be up to the, you know, the spoke to connect to it and build their own composite model, connect to it, build whatever they want. So I'm not necessarily thinking that both departments would need, because the development team of the spoke, they're only getting one data set, the production one. That's all they get. So it, it, in my mind, it kind of breaks down a bit because if they're publishing reports, well, what's yeah. the reason of them publishing dev test prod if they only have one data set across all of them? And maybe that's what you want. That team could still use a deployment pipeline in their environment, but I'm thinking that the hub is making their own reports that are is central to their department. It's like the sales department. It's like the HR department. They are focused on their area and they're not looking to publish that out across the organization. So I feel like it doesn't quite work as well there. Uh, Greg agrees with me. No, so, Greg's wrong. Actually, yeah. on this one. Greg, I'm sorry. Uh, you have cited on the wrong side of the world on this one. Okay, you get strong comments now. Just, just wanted, just wanted to mention that. So, where is my Power BI environment vending machine? Where, <laughs> indeed, indeed, Greg. Where is my vending machine? I, I'm, I'm still going to argue. Why can't this work like a GitHub repo, or at least that that process? That's what we want, right? Well, when you say GitHub, that's a totally different ball of wax, in my opinion. So what you're, what you're, yeah. let me describe yeah. more what you mean there, because I don't think I don't think people are picking up. Maybe maybe I'm picking it up, but when you when you say I want this to be a GitHub, tell me what that means to you. When I, I want this to work in GitHub, and not obviously the ideal is with the coding too, but it's really from a file management point of view, from the source control. Where I have the multiple. <laughs> <coughs> okay. Oh. All right. Well, it was a nice while it lasted, Greg. Short lived. Short lived. Yeah, Greg, short -lived. Greg hey, no longer agrees with Tommy. It's the file source control where I can have the multiple folders and I can sync changes back where I can publish something to uh, a GitHub repo. I have something local for me. So if I'm working on something and you're working on something in the same, let's say, workspace or the same type of content yes it can again it goes to the single source i can branch okay. off if i need to but it's yeah forget the uh, the source code is the file content okay so you are speaking to something that is much more fundamental to the deployment team and you are you know and what i feel like you're describing right now is a very core element to what uh github is really good at right we have a singular so imagine a report right if you decompress that report down into every single asset, object, file, whatever page, if I'm working on page one in a report, I'm changing a bunch of things inside this library of code to make the program do page one changes. Tommy may be working on page three, and he's not touching any stuff that I'm working on, but you're building new things, you're maybe making new measures, blah, blah, blah. What you're saying, Tommy, is you want to take those two worlds, it's the same report, two people work on the same report, and then merge those changes together to make a final report. And so you have like this GitHub level of code management 
that takes page one and page three, merges those changes mm -hmm. together, and boom, final report out, ready to go publish. And so that's what not deployment pipelines is clearly not in that realm. And I don't think you're going to get that thing, that feature for many years because there's a lot of, if you change something in a single page of the report, your changes there impact potentially other pages or how they're storing that information. Changes on a single page are not isolated to a single page. There's global properties that are being adjusted inside that Power BI file. And to me, that's where a lot of this GitHub level code management pieces start falling apart. The BIM or the tabular object model, the TOM, is much more amenable to doing changes on various pieces or assets because it, the, the structure of that I think is much more conducive to editing a single object and, and modifying the JSON or, or the structure for that particular table or incremental refresh policy or measure versus where we're looking about the report. There's a whole bunch of other things that you can change on any page of report that influences all of the report, like the theme file, loading assets. Those things impact the entirety of the Power BI file code structure. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, because obviously when we're dealing with the files, it 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 gets very complicated from a Power BI point of view. But I mean, if they've met, they've they have figured this out for basically Power Apps too, and they figured it out for Power Automate, and they figured it out for applications. There is a way to do this, and like I said, give me give me um the basic version where I I can't necessarily edit the code but I can deploy content throughout, like move content in a systematic way um, and, and be flexible with it. And that's, that's to me where everything's like just stops for me. What if Tommy, what if there was a world where Imagine we had like, what, what I think you're asking for Tommy is, I think you're asking for, you want to model in the, you want to build reports in the cloud. That's what you want. I really don't. Because in the same way I can use Excel to have same, the same two people in an Excel document, that's what Tommy wants. Tommy wants a report in the, you want cloud, Tommy, you just nailed it, man. Tommy was saying, I want cloud development on my Power BI reports because then I can have two people working on the same report, just like you do in Excel. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. Because then you just both work on it and then it just kicks it along. What are you so. going to work on? Yeah. You're updating the visuals and it's refreshing. And you, how does that work, Mike? That's I have no clue. I'm, I'm not the guy who builds the program. I'm just saying what you want. <laughs> I love this, my desktop. It's this. I no, love I my. Desktop. <laughs> I love opening it. I love the ribbon. I love my desktop. Yeah, I know. I know you love your desktop, but it doesn't have the new data flows in it. Your desktop is oh, old. It's so old. I don't close my browser accidentally by hitting a wrong <laughs> shortcut. <laughs> you press Control W and you're gone. Well, and, and with Excel, right? If you do Excel editing online, it's auto-saving all your changes. So if you change something, it's immediately saving it back to the Excel oh, okay. file. So if you yeah. screw something up, you've, you've versioned your file accidentally. Interesting. Um, wow, we like barely, we literally got through like just the setup questions that we were going to go through here. There's a whole lot more going on here. Um, anything else we should cover? Because we're getting close to time here. Any final thoughts on this one? Seth, what's your final thoughts on deployment pipelines? I, th I it, like like the vast majority of features in Power BI. There's a use case. Typically, it's all manual that you need to set up. Yep. There is no Power BI vending machine. I do like the fact that we dovetailed into um, Gre <laughs> Greggy's comments around what it should look like and how it should work. 
um, maybe those are, are teed up more at, at Microsoft than the three bobbleheads talking about uh, <laughs> pipelines. But it, yes. we, we appreciate the comments nonetheless. <laughs> um, I, I am going to go go through and recycle uh, and and start to do do another round of whether or not they're applicable. Yeah. Um, I think there is a good use case for utilizing them in Power BI like development teams. Yeah. Um, less more less so in other business areas due to the fact that it, it does require setup and each situation is slightly different. So yep. depending I like the fact that the feature is available. It is pushing in the right directions uh, related to um, code manage not code management like re reports being fit fit for finish and polish before yes. you put them in in front of a larger audiences and i i like the fact that we have the capability to do so so dig it tommy any final thoughts for you you're, you're out of words or you're just speechless now i at this can't point? i think that's really <laughs> Please take away my desktop out. file. I'm I'm here with Apparently. open arms, with open arms, ready to <laughs> ready to give it a big hug. So, I I think you're I think you guys are both right. I think there is a good amount of manual setup. Now I, I will say this: someone asked in the comments, "Is there an API that goes along with pipelines?" Yes, there is. Create a pipeline, delete a pipeline, deploy all, mm -hmm. get a pipeline. So there yep. there is some programmatic things that can be done here. Um, what I don't know is if you can programmatically and I, I think you can i think the answer is yes i just haven't done it myself directly i think you could put a file somewhere and have that pbix file moved into a pipeline and then you could with devops deploy said file across the different environments using code um and i think that would be i think that is possible but I'd, someone smarter than i would have to go through and confirm that on their side I know PowerShell is a lot too. I think I sent a link to the uh, GitHub samples. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, and someone also was asking in the comments from LinkedIn, um, is there an article around the uh, data lake house strategy and what Microsoft is kind of now promoting? Um, I'm going to put that link in the uh, in the chat window as well. So that's here now. Uh, I'll put that down there as well. That's the lake house article that I first saw Microsoft building, uh, in implementing a data lake strategy with Azure Synapse, I think is really... And this is where I really clearly saw um, the raw, enriched, curated, or bronze, silver, and gold data layers. This is where I was like, "Oh yeah, Microsoft's getting on the bandwagon with lake houses now." I think this is—I think they're getting the story here finally. At least they're finally getting it right. All right, my final thoughts would just be: I think it's good. I think if you're doing, I think it's definitely worth a look. If you are on anything about premium and you have certified data sets, those are my two kind of key points. If you need consistent deployment processes. Deployment pipelines are an easy way for businesses and business users to kind of get in and get moving through uh, a process around deploying from dev to prod. And I think it works really well. It definitely helps with data checking and data quality type issues. Uh, you can identify those audiences and aptly share. And for a business user, one who's not in IT, I think it's a very clean process and very easy to understand what's occurring when you migrate and move reports through uh, those different environments. So. Uh, Tommy wants me to, to make a note here. Don't forget tonight, 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 Tommy's speaking on data flows. He's going to talk about some interesting things there. So join tonight. It's at uh, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. We'll do a uh, same thing. We're going to do about an hour just letting Tommy um, say a bunch of wrong things, and then I'll correct him at the end. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Tommy's going to go deep dive into enterprise usage of data flows, and then we'll do a happy hour afterwards where people just can get together. We'll talk 
we'll hang out. We'll just uh, discuss more things about Power BI things. So please um, make sure you join tonight. The YouTube video is already out, or the link for the YouTube video and LinkedIn is actually on the website already. So go ahead and go there. Uh, you follow, hit a little bell. It'll notify you when it happens. All right, so many words today. I'm sorry. Uh, thank you all very much for your time. We really appreciate all your listenership. Um, we really had a lot of fun. There's a great discussion today. Thank you so much. Um, our only ask is if you just like what you hear here, if you're getting some ideas, if you really disagree with Mike and you want to let everyone know that Mike was totally wrong, appointment pipelines are not for you, um, please go out to LinkedIn and or Twitter and let me know. Uh, tag me, tag the tag it and say, this is a good discussion, but I totally disagree for Mike. Uh, and <laughs> we'll go from there. Um, where else can you find the, the, the podcast, Tommy? You can find the podcast anywhere. Podcasts are available. Apple, Spotify, Google, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, and probably other things too. We don't even know anymore. Please help us out. If you really do enjoy this, the, the number one way you can say thank you to us is, if you want to say thank you, is share the word, <laughs> post a message, do something, say, hey, this is a different way to talk about Power BI and just share a link to something. Yep, we appreciate it. Well, you've burned through and we wasted a good hour and five minutes of your time. Get back to work. We'll see you next time.